Hello, this is Recovered AF Podcast. My name is Aaron. Um, 50% of this podcast, well, I'm, today I'm 33.3% of this podcast. 33.3, repeating. Kyle's going to give a disclaimer now. What's up? Uh, yeah, we are not affiliated in any way whatsoever at all <clears throat> with any 12-step organization. Uh, those organizations don't have spokespeople or representatives. And like Aaron said last week, if they did have them, Aaron and I would definitely not be the choice for them. So uh, we are just a couple of individuals that are going to share our own experience about whatever comes up during this hour or so podcast. And we're hopefully going to do as little talking as possible while we interview a guest that I'm going to let Aaron introduce. Yeah, so our guest today is Jason. And um, anybody that's listened to any of the podcasts or all of the podcasts, I should say, um, heard us do one a while back called the rec, ta- rec Table Discussion, in which we had uh, a guy named Jason and Ryan on. And we sat down and just um, sort of had a, I don't know, open mic kind of conversation. And we're in, in the moment, it's, it, it seemed a little bit awkward just because it was a new format, but it was uh, turned out being something we really enjoyed doing. But um you know, we only got to hear a little bit about what Jason had to, you know, offer. And so mm-hmm. we wanted to have him back so we could get his whole story because it's a good one. So what's up, man? Welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Heck yeah, man. Glad to have you. Um, Marty, Marty usually throws this out. We usually start with just like a quick first time intro to the 12 steps. And I honestly don't think I know when that was for you. So will you shine some light on that experience? Yeah. So uh, I was a troublemaker as a kid. And um, I'd actually gotten sent away to Sheridan, Wyoming, up to like a uh, like a prep school type deal. Um, and up there was my first introduction to it uh, in Sheridan, Wyoming. And it was a room full of people in their 60s and 70s. Oh, wow. And, like, super old, and uh, they smoked. <laughs> so yeah. it was uh, – I don't remember anything about it other than that. And that's what you associated 12-step yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. shit with. What oh, was yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's so awesome. How old were you? Like, you were in high school? I was 16. Sorry. I'm, is something blowing around over there? I is think it just it's just some wind. Oh, yeah. okay. This is what happens. <laughs> this is what happens. Um, so you were 16 years old. And you were up in Sheridan, and so you just were like, uh, I don't know. I, su- I imagine that was probably not a very positive impression that it had made on you at that point. Or it didn't matter, like, you know, at 16, I don't really give a fuck anyway. So. Pretty much, man. It was just like, yeah, these people are old, and they have problems with alcohol, and none of this stuff applies to me. Yeah. yeah. Did you have problems with alcohol at that time, or was it more... So, looking back now, fuck yeah, yeah I did. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> but, right. Uh, in the moment, no. Yeah. yeah, you're just like, this is what every fucking kid should be doing. Yeah, dude, I'm 16 years old and I party. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I yeah. have a good time when I do it. And yeah. sometimes and I break some faces. and Yeah, and sometimes I punch cops. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Seems normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially at 16. Yeah. Uh, that's that's awesome. about right. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so you, I, I've heard your story before. So, you got sent up there, like you said, for um, assaulting a, uh, a police officer, basically yes. while while you were intoxicated, or just yeah. So that was that was a that was a pretty good one. It was a good night. Mm-hmm. Was up, it a football game or something? Yeah. Okay. So football game. Yeah. Um, did a bunch of coke, which I'm sure is normal for 16 year olds to yeah. do too. And then uh, yeah. uh, did some drinking and smoked some weed, and we were having a really good time. And yeah, I blacked out, went to a, a football game, and. 
woke up in jail. Nice. So, so then you got you got sent away, and then that like, but I remember. So you you sort of got your shit or get enough together at least on the outside to like move towards your career, right? Yeah. So I got out of there. Um, there's a little space between that. I got out, uh, went to Casper to go to community college there. Okay. Um, and I started fucking up again. So I moved back to Cheyenne and went to LCCC. And same deal. Started drinking and partying and getting in trouble again. And then um, I at least had a semi-responsible thought. Like, hey, this isn't working out. Yeah. Um, so you should probably do something different. And that's when I uh, decided to join the military. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. That's a pretty drastic Massive. change. <laughs> so I think the thing that really did it for me, though, was... Um, when I was in Sheridan, there was so much structure up there, right? Like you had to fold your socks a certain way and they inspected your room to make sure your bed is made correctly. And, um, you know, the staff members could basically beat your ass if you got out of line and they were a lot bigger than me. So, um, just the structure in general was really good for me. I kind of thrived on it and I don't know, I've always been a logical thinker, I guess. So it made sense to me to find something with structure and that was the military. Right. Yeah. And then you did how many years in the military? I was in the military for ten years. Ten years, yeah. Wow. So okay. it, was, it was a, it was a good time. There's there's a lot of pros um, that came out of that. I actually met, um, that's where I met my ex-wife. Uh, we had two kids. Uh, I got to see the world. Um, you know, good and bad stuff comes along with the military. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a jump start into, something better for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it was what I needed at the time. Um, to prevent myself from going back to what I was doing before. Right. Now, was your, sorry, was your drinking very much, uh, did it get accelerated while you were in the military, or did it kind of keep it under wraps? Yeah, so the weird thing about the military was um, I I drank harder than any point in my life, but I could go long periods without drinking. Yeah. So, um, and that's, I mean, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, the vast majority of people in the military drink hard, mm-hmm. especially when you're young. You know, you're you're 19 years old. Uh, nobody actually cares if you drink. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just, I guess, semi condoned. Like it's it's an okay thing to do. So, you know, it didn't feel wrong. Right. Um, and it was a way to bond too. Yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of how we bonded. Whether it was like you know a rough day or rough deployment or a good day, it didn't matter. Like that, it was always there. Yeah. It's kind of part of the culture. Yeah. The only thing I was thinking of, like when I was probably 19 or so, I was, you know, I kept racking up drinking underage tickets and kept getting in trouble and actually went down to the army recruiter and took the ASVAB and thought about going into the army. And then I was like, fuck this seems like a lot of work. I'm gonna, I don't know why I would do that. Like, like they're serious and I'm not serious. So I think I'm going to change my mind on that one. Yeah. yeah. My parents just wanted me to get my shit together and, yeah, so I backed out of that one. Yeah. Uh, apparently, though, society would have probably been okay with my drinking at that point. Like, living in my parents' basement, not having a job, not okay. Apparently, being in the 19 in the military is okay. So, yeah, I remember um, I was in uh, Las Vegas. I was stationed there for a little while and going through some training. And uh, underage, we were drinking in our barracks, and a cop came up. And I just remember thinking, shit, man, here we go. I'm getting in trouble again. And uh, 
came up, asked me if I was drinking. I told him, yes, I was. He asked me if I was underage. I said, yes, I am. He said, thanks for being honest. Have a good night. Wow. Hmm. Nice. So now after the military was done, you, um, that was when you went back to school, right? So I, I started, um, going to school when I was in the military, um, kind of continued it. Yeah. And for a long time, I thought I wanted to go to medical school. Um, I was actually a medic in the military and, uh, unfortunately that kind of put a sour taste in my mouth, I guess, just as far as being a doctor was not a road that I wanted to continue on, but like I'd actually gotten accepted. Um, so that was, that was cool, but it was just, uh, you know, not something for me that that was part of what, um, really kind of turned my drinking out of control was the the later half of my military career. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, uh, I continued to drink, um, I'd say those last two years, man, it, it just got closer and closer together. And by that point I changed my major to engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and engineering school was kind of a, a safety net too, cause it turns out it was kind of hard. Uh-huh. And, um, so I actually had to study plus I was working full time and I was commuting and I had two kids. Um, so I, I had a lot going on. Like yeah. I, I had to, had to keep my stuff together, but, um, kind of at the end of, uh, my senior semester was when shit really got bad for me. And I just was going to backtrack real quick and explain something again, maybe for people that are only listening to this episode or what, but sometimes what we found is a lot of people that maybe um, aren't in recovery or don't have that much experience with this. We find listening to the podcast and something he had alluded to earlier was his ability to stay sober for long periods of time. And like, we've had several guests on there. Megan was like that. Amy was like that. Like we've had, you know, because for me, I've, I had this idea of what an alcoholic was and, and then I had a pretty good idea why it wasn't one. And, and um, you know, I had some family members that demonstrated what a daily drinking looked like and what not being able to do shit and have a job. And I, I got to see what that looked like. And so that was alcoholic. And somebody that can um, get their shit together for long periods of time was somebody that was not an alcoholic. They just like to, you know, like go hard on the weekends or, you know, like work hard, play hard kind of philosophy. But like what I've come to find out and, and experience through this deal is like, um, it, you know, the qualifications are, are um, you know, unable to stop or moderate our own or um, unable to control once we start. And those are the two things. And so, you know, your story is, is a common one, man. Somebody that has success in life and is able to, like, get in some trouble, pull their shit back together. Then things, you know, like, sort of come off the rails again, and then we sort of, you know, get shit back together again. But eventually, and this is the point where you just got to, like, your last semester, things get to the point where you just can no longer get your shit together anymore at that point. That's basically what happened from there. And you had some people in your in your life, though, that sort of cared about you, right? Some colleagues or coworkers or maybe that sort of, I think maybe, if I'm remembering, confronted you or, you know, told you that they cared for you, but this drinking might be a problem, and that didn't really sit very well with you? or No, not at all. So, um, and I had a ton of people in my life, still do, they care about me. Like, I'm very fortunate that way. Um, yeah, I had some, some military buddies uh, with my family as well who um, I was at work uh, just kind of doing my thing. And, you know, I was justifying this to myself. I knew something was coming because everybody was being weird with me that day. And um, all, the, all the big brass walks in and um, first sergeant, who was one of my best friends, and 
um, just a bunch of guys, and they basically sat me down and said, listen, dude, uh, this isn't a choice anymore. Mm. Um, you have a problem. You're going to get help, and that's, that's it. There's no, no discussion. This is what's going to happen. Go talk to the chaplain. And, uh, you know, I, I was supposed to come back, and they were going to tell me exactly what my road was from there. So I um, went and talked to the chaplain, pretended like everything was fine, <laughs> um, got in my car instead of going back, drove to the liquor store, left the liquor store, uh, pounded a bottle of Fireball, like an entire fifth, and then uh, I was dead set on killing myself yeah. that day. So um, thankfully that didn't happen. Yeah. And that that's kind of the tipping point into the program right so like that and then you kind of started going no okay so that happened um spent some time in the hospital after that i'd actually put a gun in my mouth um pulled the trigger didn't go off um and by that time my my car was surrounded by police officers Mm so took me to the hospital got out um i was sober for two weeks uh no intention of going to aa or anything like that I had told people that I was going, but I wasn't. Um, had had some more episodes that way. And then fast forward to, this was in May, I guess fast forward to um, July, and my brother was in town for his engagement party. And uh, so my, my parents have a pretty nice house and hold lots of people, so it was full. And I was the best man. Um, so obviously my brother expected me to be there. And, told my family that I wasn't drinking, but I think I'd probably put down probably eight or ten beers before I got there. Yeah. And uh, we were in the backyard, and you know how brothers are. They give each other shit here and there, and um, it's all good. We've been that way since we were little. Well, I took offense to that, and um, long story short, I ended up punching my brother in the face at his own engagement party, and uh, I was asked to leave, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And um, he called me probably five minutes later, and he said, I do not care about anything that just happened. I just want my big brother back. Damn. Yeah, gut shot right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I continued to get fucked up that night. Right. And then woke up the next day and called my parents and said, all right, I'm ready to go to rehab. Let's let's get this done. Mm-hmm. That's kind of just the, the the kind of weird, unpredictable pe- behavior that would happen to me when I was drinking, like shit that I've done with somebody or interacted with them my whole life. And then all of a sudden, one night out of nowhere, it's the same thing we've done all over, and I just lose my shit over it and completely blow shit out of proportion and make a fool and do those kinds of things. And you just I just never knew when that kind of shit was going to happen, though. You know what I mean? Like, my behavior was so unpredictable. Yeah. That would be the nice part is if I could predict what was going to happen when I drank. <laughs> right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't need 12-step yeah, shit. No, we I'm wouldn't just, be here having this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I have also had a fight with my brother at a family barbecue, too, so I understand. And over similar stuff. And I got in a fight with his friend first and then a fight with him after. So I understand. I get it. But um, so anyways, rehab, 12-step oriented. Yeah. So the nice thing about this rehab was um, it was approved by the military. So I could talk about some military things there uh, with their counselors. And um, then it was very, very heavy in 12 steps. That was actually the first thing I did was hand me a big book. And then every night at that rehab facility – um, they would actually bring like 
a group from outside would bring their meeting in and it'd be full, man. There'd be like 70, 80 people in there, hundred or more sometimes. And, um, all out of the big book, all, all step oriented. There's no puking up your problems. I mean, guys would cut you off and tell you to stop talking <laughs> if, uh, it wasn't out of the book mm-hmm. and solution focused. So it was, yeah, it was no shit. Like it was, it was a really good, uh, introduction. I think for most people, um, I just thought it was ridiculous, honestly, at the time. I was just going to say, and then, because having that experience, uh, I, too, had a similar experience at a at a rehab where it was like that. You know, people bring in a meeting, and it's straight out of the book. It's very solution-focused. When I got out, though, I still was looking for the common problem and getting down with those people. Is I think that's similar to you too, because that wasn't, that wasn't just, that's not your sobriety date, right? So you had an experience where you kind of just hung out after rehab and then eventually tipped into the work, right? So I got out, yeah, I got out of rehab. Um, I went like right at the beginning of August, got out right at the end of August. Um, And then I actually put together, I strung together 60 days. And I think the only reason why that happened, and I kept going to meetings, um, but I remember when I left there, um, there's a nurse who was awesome, and she pulled me aside and said, here's the deal. I want you to look around this room at the people that you're in here with. She said, if you want any chance of staying sober, you're going to keep going to meetings, you're going to find a sponsor, and you're going to work steps. She said, mark my words, eight out of ten of you guys is gonna relapse and die mm-hmm. like it's just gonna happen and uh i did not take it very serious like i went to meetings um i even got a sponsor but i was so fundamentally against <laughs> the steps and i had no understanding of how what's in that book was gonna help me mm-hmm. at all yeah yeah i uh Shout out to good treatment centers first because I was in a rehab center and when I was leaving, I asked my counselor, dude, I'm like, all right, bro, so what's the what's the secret sauce here that's going to work for me? And he said, uh, get a sponsor, work the steps, and find a home group where you could be of service. And I laughed and was like, no, really, what's the secret? Like, tell me what's really going to work. And um, sure, shit, he was true too. So I just love when Treatment centers sometimes get a bad rep in the, in the twelve step world because, you know, it sometimes it gets watered down a little, but they're still quality people. So kudos. Yeah, had a similar experience. Well, we had the same treatment center. I think even the same and the counselor. counselor. Yeah. yeah, but like all of these guys that I, a lot of the guys I was in there with were younger than me and they were single and they were going to like alternative things like sober living houses and shit. And I, I you know, I was married and had a house and a and a career and all of that stuff. So I was going right back and. And he was like, well, what, you know, you're, you're just going to pick up your life where, where you're at. Like, what, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I think I just have to get through as many of these steps as I can before I go back to work. And he just smiled and nodded. And he was <laughs> like, yep, that's it. And I was like, all right. But much like you, like I wasn't, an, I wasn't anti it or opposed to it, but it didn't, didn't make any sense how I just do these steps and then my life becomes different. Like, that's a weird thing <laughs> to like think that if I, just follow some instructions in my in a book my entire Yeah, I still world. don't understand. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, that's right. It doesn't make a lot of sense. My thing was 
I had somebody sit me down in treatment and they were like, um, you know, alcohol is not your problem. And that's, I think, when I checked out, yeah. I was like, time out. Right. I was like, <laughs> actually, the entire reason I'm here is because I drink. Right. right. So I'm not sure what fucking planet you're from, <laughs> yeah. but alcohol is clearly my problem. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, man. I was just, I was like, I'm not buying into your your little cult thing you guys yeah. got going on. It's just, this is not going to work for me. Yeah. What tipped you into it? Uh, pain. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, so I'd, I'd strung those 60 days together. And then uh, I'm going through a divorce, like, as this is happening. Um, and one night, I actually done a, I did a, like, a four-step, um, kind of a half-assed four-step and then half-assed fifth-step. And I left there, and I actually felt some relief mm-hmm. from it. Um, but I also left thinking, all right, like, 60 days, your life's starting to get back together. You're good to go. There's no problem with alcohol. Yeah. You just needed, you know, some time away to evaluate priorities. And mm-hmm. um, you have two kids you love, so you, you just got to keep it under control, and you're going to be fine. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't. Yeah. Go I was ahead. just going to sure. say, that's just yeah. a classic example of the mental <laughs> obsession that yeah. we talk about, like, um, so our literature sense. talks clearly about like, you know, why can't we, if, if the, taking the first drink is the problem, why can't we stay away? Well, it's because we can't remember correctly. It's because we get a, a week or a few days or a few months away from that last drink. And what happens is that our brain tells us that, that it, we don't have to worry about the shit that we got ourselves into because that's not going to happen this time mm-hmm. because I just needed to be a little more well-adjusted. I just need to re I just need to realize what's important in my life and I'm never going to let it get to that point again. And that's the way it was for me, you know, with opiates. And it was like, well, uh, I don't have to worry about getting strung out again because I'll never let myself get to that point again. Like I just didn't know what I was getting into the, the last time. Mm-hmm. And now I know what's ahead of me. I know what's facing me. I've got some self-knowledge as our book talks about and, and then just being absolutely utter bewildered and befuddled when I was strung out again, thinking, how could I have let this happen? I mean, it's a f- devastating prospect, but like our mind just is not reading the situation correctly, I guess. Yeah, I think the biggest lie I've ever told myself is that, and it was always, this time's going to be different. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, that was bad, but this time's going to be different. Oh yeah. Like, I, I, after my first DUI, I, I, just didn't drink for 90 days and um and it wasn't like 90 on the dot it was like around 90 days though but my life consisted of going to work getting off of work getting a take home pizza and locking myself in my room until the next day and that was all I did and then after 90 (laughs) days was like clearly alcohol is not a problem in my (laughs) life I can drink again you know like I just did it like show me a drunk that can go 90 days without drinking and so I just didn't know what, what it is that makes me an alcoholic and the same deal. Eventually I get back to like, yeah, that was bad, but this is going to be way different this time. So I get it. Yeah. I think for me, the crazy part, and I still remember thinking this, um, I was at the bar and, um, I'd taken, I don't know, three or four shots and I remembered, you know, the part in the book where it tells you, um, like only drink wine, whatever goes through goes through that whole progression thing, and I remember thinking, and believing, that I could stop right now if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah. 
I just don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to keep drinking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I just, the, the whole time I was out and obsessed whether I belonged here or not, I was like, I could just do the Merry Man test, which is like have two beers a day for... I don't know, a month, and if you can do it, then you're all right. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that, though, because I know. I can like, do it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm good, <laughs> you know, so I don't even need to try that test. Like, why know? try it? I know I can do it, yeah, so exactly. I just drink how I want. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So then uh, so then you did your, your half-ass four or five, and you thought you were all right, and then it turns out you were not all right. So then, like, was that was that the breaking point when you were just like, I can't, I guess, can't do this anymore? Like, this isn't, this isn't going to work? And is that when you hit your, like, jumping off place or that point of, you know, breaking? What, I don't know. I just like to call it the jumping off place, I guess. Yeah. So that night, I actually, um, so this is how awesome and how much I had my shit together. Uh, I'm 29 years old. I have a college degree that I'm not currently using. Uh I am living in my parents' house because I'm getting divorced. And they were out of town. And my, my dad had uh, taken all of his liquor out of the cabinet and put it in this, like, fucking ridiculous Pelican case. <laughs> like, locked it down, right? Yeah. So I get home, and I'm not ready to stop drinking. Right. So I got a 16-pound sledgehammer, and I murdered the <laughs> fuck out of that Pelican case. <laughs> And um, I actually didn't drink anymore. I I looked down. I looked at my hand, and I'm holding a sledgehammer. <laughs> and I looked down at this Pelican case, and I just broke down crying because I knew at that point I couldn't stop. Yeah. yeah. Now, did you restart at one, like first step, and went rewent through the work at that yeah. point? Did an inventory and got a. Sp- did you use the same sponsor? Use yeah. the same sponsor. Cool. I uh. Yeah, I uh, texted him that night and said, hey, I fucked up. You know, I'm I'm drinking. This is what's going on. And uh, he said, okay, man, like, let's let's get to work. And then, so we started from step one and just, just kind of went back through. That's cool. Did yeah. you go at a quick rate or was yeah. it? Yeah. So it was, it was, a, it was a quick rate um, and a lot more thorough this time. Mm-hmm. Um, still didn't get great results, though, because – at this point, um, I was convinced that I did not need God involved in any of my program. Like, I was at the point where it was like, you know what? I don't have anything to lose, I guess, by trying this. So I will try absolutely everything except God. <laughs> like, I'll do whatever it takes except God. And how'd that work? Super. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then what changed, I was just going to ask, so then um, what, like I have also, I think I've done the work without God, but it was, it was in a different thing. I was just like more about me and my own awesomeness. <laughs> it wasn't like I was intentionally trying to, I'd already had a spiritual experience. I was just pretty full of myself at that point. And anyway, but so like what then, um, so you got, so you got some results, but not the full effect then. And then was it, was it just like more emotional struggle in, in that state that you said that, that you got to a point where you were willing to include God in that? Is that, or how did that all come about? Yeah. So, um, outwardly, I think I was probably doing pretty well to people. Like I could go to a meeting and I could talk about, um, 
the solution mm -hmm. at this point. I'd actually done some stuff too, right? So I had some experience that I could tie in with it. Um, so outwardly, I think most people were like, yeah, this kid's, this kid's crushing it to the point where they actually asked me to speak at um, Unity. Mm -hmm. And so here I am conflicted again, right? Like, yep, I'm doing what I always do. Everybody thinks that I'm cool and I'm absolutely dying inside. And I'm not going to ask anybody for help because um, why would I do that? I can handle this on my own. Um, and it was a shitty week, man. So I uh, I was in the field. So I wasn't in the office engineering yet. I was in the field learning and ended up getting a concussion at work. And then my grandma died that week. Um, and I had gotten some pain pills from the from the dock for my head injury or whatever. And I was in my bathroom the night before unity looking at like 60 pills, just ready to take them all again, like ready to die. And that's what, um, got me willing. Cause it was like, I promised myself I was never going to get to this point again. Mm -hmm. I've already been here. I'm doing these steps. I'm listening to what people were telling me. And it got to the point where it was just like, I knew, I knew I cannot do this by myself. Mm -hmm. I need help. That's just another, I was just thinking that's just another illustration of the internal condition that we talk about. Like yep. if, uh, you know, if, if, if the thing that afflicted us was just, a, just as simple as removing alcohol from the situation, then that's all we'd have to do and then we'd be okay. But like there's that internal condition our book calls a spiritual malady that kicks our ass too. And like hitting that, you know, hitting that emotional bottom or, or whatever you want to call it is a, a rough place too because I've been, you know, years sober, uh, a couple of years sober, just just so internally conflicted and crazy and just wrapped around the axle. It's just a, not a, it's not a fun way to be. And like for me, you know, the solution was being, spending some time back out, which was also not enjoyable. But like so many times people in our fellowship have hit that breaking point in sobriety. And what happens is they get into the work and get into God like what happened with you or they or they peace out they end it themselves or they go back out like those seem to be the three options at that point yeah i think that the at least for me and it sounds like for you too is there's m i've experienced multiple jumping off points like the one that got me convinced that what i'm doing isn't good working and then the one that got me convinced that maybe god is going to be able to help me out mine was around four months sober when i'm getting sued I'm going back to jail and I'm losing my license all in one day. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm fucked, man. I got nothing. Like everything I've done for the last four months has led me to this point where I want to drink or die again, four months into, into sobriety. You know what I mean? And, and then realizing like, Oh, I really haven't fucking done much. And then having that jumping off point to, to actually concede and, and move forward. It's crazy. I don't understand it. <laughs> So at some point you did, you had a, like a new experience with a, um, a different, like, cause one thing that's important for me is to continue to grow. And like, you know, I've had, you know, just, just one sponsor this time, but the last time I had a couple different sponsors and it was cool. Like it was, I appreciate each one of those men for being willing to take me through the work, but it also had a different experience. And I know Kyle's had that same experience where he's, 
you know, had several sponsors this time around. And when I say sponsor, I mean the, the person that guides us through the 12 steps is my, is what my experience with the sponsor is. And you've had that same thing too, right? And Mike, did you experience those that, you know, new level of growth with each experience as well? Oh, absolutely. So what was crazy about my, um, I guess that would have been my second time through, was um, so my work schedule was in, insane at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and my sponsor at that time was a was a super busy guy too. Um, but we had this little network, of basically the guys that go to the Wednesday night meeting. Um, so I'd started the steps with my sponsor and then we weren't gonna be able to get together for like three weeks. And I was to the point where it was like, dude, I can't, I'm not gonna sit on this. I just need to get this stuff out. So obviously talked it over with him and he's like, yeah, hit one of those other guys up. So um, I went through my fifth step with with a different guy and that that experience was completely different mm. not that what he did was i mean it, it had to do with the fact that obviously i didn't invited god into it this yeah. time um but yeah just hearing somebody else's point of view yeah um that that was huge for me and just just their little um snippets of experience with the steps and yeah it's an amazing thing actually like working with more than just one guy yeah game changer i agree yeah Yeah. i've been through the work with three guys and then same thing same deal not that anyone does it better than the other one but i just get you get different experience and perspective and that at is crucial my sponsor they his where he got sober is like a fucking cult and they uh they don't they don't have a sponsor and they read their fifth step to like three different people at different times to do the same thing though, to get that perspective and perception, not like from a different point of view. So, I think it's crucial. Yeah, I'd, 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 well, I don't want to share his story. I was going to tell a story that about a sponsor I'd had, but it involved reading a fifth step to multiple people, mm-hmm. right? Just driving to a specific location, struggling, long time sober. Sponsor said, "Hey, ride that your inventory. Meet these two guys at this place. They all met and they did a, like a triangular fifth step, yeah. and then got feedback from each person. And it's just a the vulnerability to it, b getting a different perspective and that different feedback. So that's actually what happened to me was I ended up doing it with two guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. and one of those guys is the guy who's my sponsor now. Yeah, yeah. Chet and I have just listened to a fifth step last week. The two of us listened to a, a new dude's fifth step. So we're kind of did the same thing which is it's cool like it's just i don't know not that i ever thought that i was going to do it alone but it's just nice to have the that other perspective too you know it's it's vital just i don't know just the more open i can be with people yeah thing the the better i am i'm not pretending to be it's easy for me to pretend to be something i'm not sort of like what you were talking earlier about i'm okay I'm getting ready to speak tomorrow night, and I'm going to take a handful of pills though first and off myself, and I might not make it that yeah. might not make it to that speaking engagement because I'm not willing to be honest about where I'm at. And what re- really happened to me the last time was I was like Mr. Twelve Step, and I was super involved, and I had all these service commitments, and I could um, quote the book really well, and I could speak pretty well, and I could articulate my point pretty well. And um, tell us more about you, Marty. <laughs> I was pretty kidding. I was pretty good at everything I was doing at the time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and the truth was, like, I was struggling. I was struggling mightily, and I was falling apart on the inside. But because I was unwilling to be honest about that, like, that's that internal conflict that I was experiencing, I was telling you about, that eventually drove me back out. And 
a pretty fond view of myself <laughs> in addition to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> struggled with some of it. So like, and like one of my favorite parts of your story, and I'm going to ask you to talk about it again in case people haven't listened to all our episodes or only listened to this episode. But like one of the things that illustrates what the power of what we do when we get well is um, the changes in the lives of ourselves and the people about us. So one of the my favorite parts of your story is the amends process and the relationship with your wife at the end of the marriage and what that looked like and what that relationship looks like now. Because you, um, you two are not fond of each other when you got divorced. Is that fair to say? That, that's fair yeah. to say. Yeah, we uh, were not seen eye to eye. Obviously, we were getting divorced. Um, but yeah, we, c- we can talk to each other for more than... 30 seconds without it just being an absolute nightmare yeah full-on yelling matches all that stuff um and that continued through about six months into my uh recovery and you know it it got to the point um i think that's kind of what drove me to do another four step Mm. was looking at my kids and seeing what that was doing to them yeah and telling myself that here I am, I'm doing everything I can to be a good dad, and she's not seeing it, and she's, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. just all of these things. And, yeah, I think that, that was one of the most powerful experiences that I've had was sitting down and looking at my side of things yeah. and completely ignoring hers. And when I got that stuff down on paper, um, it's crazy to me how fast that stuff really just melted away when I was able to see all the wrong that I had done and all the pain that I'd caused her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was like, yeah, well, fuck, man, no <laughs> shit. Mm-hmm. We're not getting along right, right now. Like, good Lord. Right. Yeah. So, um, and, and the wild thing was it was just, it was that quick, man. Like, our very next conversation, I changed me. Mm-hmm. And then just the change in our interaction immediately was different. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how that, that's a thing where <clears throat> my whole relationship with any person is if they would just do it differently, everything would be fine. And then coming to the realization that like when I do something different, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's always them that's doing it wrong. And then when I come to the realization like, Oh, no, I'm the one causing all of this fucking whirlwind and chaos and stuff, even though I'm not trying to. Like, my intentions are the best thing in the world, yet it's just a fucking spiral of chaos. And then when I start acting differently, they're normal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, not always, but a lot of mine are like, oh, yeah, they really they really weren't much I, to blame for anything. The wild thing was I didn't see it, right? So I'm I'm telling my sponsor about our interactions as, as they kind of progress. And I'm like, dude, she is fucking changing. I was like, she is like a whole different person. Like, I don't even, I don't even know who I'm talking to anymore. Like we have more meaningful conversations now than we ever did when we were married. And, uh, he laughed at me and he said, do you think she's the one that changed or do you think you're the one that changed and <laughs> yeah. it was like oh shit and you're like oh, oh yeah exactly the light bulb goes on yeah, yeah. 
But that's cool. That's that realization. And then I get to take that into all of the relationships in my life and yep. just get good at doing that. And then it's a little bit easier way. It's a little e- easier to do the things that causes change in myself than it is to wait for everybody around me to change. Yeah. That's a long wait. Right. Yeah. That's like, it's a catapult into everything too. Mm-hmm. I think once you see that, man, like it is, it is wild. You can take that to work with you. Yep. Parents, brother like whatever it's that for me is the biggest thing is being able to look at yourself and see that yeah that's the psychic change for me where i stop looking at everyone else yeah that's like for me that's the purpose of inventory is that i i experience that perspective change i've always looked at it this way now i'm looking at it this way and it's a completely different outcome and again, yeah, I get to do it at work with the, my coworkers. I get to do it with guys that I'm the boss of. I get to do it with my bosses. When my boss pisses me off, I, I get to look at what am I doing, you know, when Megan and I don't get along. Well, what am I doing? And that it's so much easier. And like I, I get to walk lighter today because I'm just, I know what I, I need to do. I love it. You want me for you want me to say something now? No, I was just gonna ask you about working with others because that's one thing that you um, you do a whole lot of. <laughs> so, yeah, that was I think the other thing for me that's been um, the biggest change in in the way I look at things is um, really getting involved with other people. What's crazy though is um, I didn't start sponsoring guys. I guess I did. I sponsored one other person, but I actually um, decided I wanted to pursue um, recovery in a different light too, kind of a a different aspect. So I got involved um, with a group called Recover Wyoming and ended up uh, getting on the board there. Mm -hmm. And and the cool thing about that board was um, like Recover Wyoming's whole deal is there's not one pathway to recovery, Mm -hmm. right? So... Whatever it is, we're going to guide you there. So we have resources for all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. For me, that's the 12 steps, right? That's what I bring to the table. Yeah, I'm always going to be a 12-step guy. That's what worked for me, and, and that's what I can tell you about. But, uh, you know, if there's another another avenue that you're interested in, in pursuing, like, we can steer you that direction. And it's also what um, really made me see that's where I can be helpful to others is by taking them through the steps. And that's kind of what... Um, got me thinking about truly sponsoring guys um yeah the sponsored thing for me is it is a wild deal it's like looking at yourself at least with my sponsees to this point just seeing this guy who's fucking wrecked coming into the room and um yeah taking him through the steps like somebody took me through the steps Mm -hmm. and watching them put in the work and watching them really do this thing and then getting to see the changes that happen it is it's amazing and it keeps me in check too right because i have a a hard time telling somebody that hey man you got to be doing this stuff if i'm not doing it too so it's taking my program to a whole nother level my 10 11 and 12 have gotten way better since i started sponsoring other guests Mm -hmm. i agree i wanted to ask you about your work life because Like one of my first encounter with you in the twelve step rooms was that you're a big guy, man, and and uh, you know I was like, um, you know I have a tendency to size everybody up, and I was like, uh, here's one, here's this you know big big tough macho guy, but then I got to know you a little bit, and like 
you're just you're just a guy, right? And um, somebody that I can trust. And uh, but the, your work field is full of like alpha alpha male macho guys. Did we talk about this on the last one? Anyway, so I, I don't remember if we did or not. But like, um, I was wondering how what that looks like trying to take uh, spiritual principled living into an environment like that where like you know all day at work is a pissing contest. Yeah. So that that's been probably the most challenging area for me. Is yeah, I, I work in a place where um, everybody is a big tough dude. And everybody has something to prove, and everybody's right, and um, just ego, huge. So I fit in pretty well there. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think what's crazy for me is I, I brought, um, I didn't bring any of this program stuff with me to work for probably my first eight months. And we'd get shit done, right? But the way that I interacted with people um, was pretty forward. And... The wild thing is you, you get to the point where um, I guess you kind of figure out that, yeah, this is a big, tough dude. Um, but if I just tell him he needs to fucking do better and not lose me money, um, that doesn't go over as well as, like, sitting down with them, saying, hey, man, like, here's what we did good. This is what we didn't do so good. And this is what we need to do next time. Like, even big, tough guys appreciate that. Right. Like, it's it's a crazy thing just treating people well in general works no matter what field you're in yeah and yeah it was a trip for them too like mm-hmm. mind-blowing they i don't know it had been probably a month or two since i'd really focused on doing this stuff and there was like a group of them who pulled me aside and they were like hey man like i don't know what's going on with you but everybody's kind of concerned <laughs> <laughs> you're being really nice <laughs> lately <laughs> <laughs> what happened to this fucking yelling, screaming? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's funny. That is. I I find that, too. Because especially in a position where I'd supervise some people, um, what I've found is <clears throat> being an asshole can get results, but I don't feel good about it anymore. And I think that's the biggest perception change that I've had. Because when I was a supervisor before, it was like, I don't really fucking care. This is how it's going to be. And like that doesn't feel good anymore for me. Like it doesn't sit well. And so I just I just don't do that anymore. I try to do the like hey, this is kind of what I'm noticing and like you know, and I think uh I talk about this a lot like my old ideas and the old way I used to live life sometimes yielded results. And so it's hard to let some of that go or like being a perfectionist or you know, being an asshole at work or whatever and what I find is I can still get results even though I'm not doing it the way I used to, which I don't know if that makes sense. But for me, it's been a profound change in my relationships, like how people enjoy me today. And for me, it just emphasized, you know, we, we talked about being honest with yourself too, and it, it really just changed the way that I looked at a situation, right? So something would happen at work, and there's, you know, large sums of money involved in what we do. So immediately you go to jumping on that guy about fucking up and i think what's what's helped me more than anything is taking a step back and saying like maybe this guy just really didn't know what he was doing like maybe we need to focus on training in this area Mm -hmm. like it's made me a better employee it's made me more enjoyable to be around it's just it's been a it's been a cool thing yeah for sure i i don't have any other 
Nothing. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking. I was just thinking, like, you could do, um, how does that work with the kids? Because you, you talked about having a couple of kids, and your work situation is where you um, end up with, a, like, a week off at a time, right? You get to, like, so with the summer coming up and uh, having a week off at a time, do you get to, like, spend that time doing cool shit with your kids over the summer, or you have shit planned out for that, or what? How oh, yeah. That work? So we, uh, that that's the best part for me is I work two weeks on, I get a week off, and the cool thing is, you know, I'm at a place now, uh, with my ex-wife that, you know, if I'm in town or I'm not traveling or not super busy, I can call her at noon and say, hey, I want to take the kids tonight. Mm-hmm. And I can take them during my two weeks, but then I have my entire week off. So, yeah, during the summer, um, I love to fish. I think that's, like, my favorite thing in the world to do. And thankfully, both my kids love to do that, too. So we're outdoors all summer and just just going and enjoying life, man. Nice. Yeah, it's good. That's awesome. Um, <clears throat> I just want to say thank you for, for coming, being a part of it. You're always super honest and I, the more I'm around you, the more and more I just get a admiration. Like there's a, I, I found out recently, there's a dude that goes to our home group that you sponsor that I didn't know. And I was just like, fuck man, like it just reinforced again, like Jason is just killing this thing. So thanks for being on this and, and being a part of it and sharing your experience, man. Yeah, man, I'm, I appreciate it, guys. This yeah. is a this is a really cool thing that you guys are doing. And um, I, I think I mentioned it last time, but I think the, the coolest part for me is that, you know, you don't necessarily have to be in recovery to benefit from what's going on here. I think it puts some perspective on what we do for family members. And, you know, it, it's an amazing thing. So just keep it up. I know, man. Thanks. Yep. Aaron, plug our shit. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, We have an email. It's called recoveredafpodcast at gmail.com. Where can they find us? On on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or Google Play Music. Should they leave a review or something? Yeah. I mean, if you want to leave a review, you're more than welcome to let people know what you think about the podcast. Awesome. Um, Yeah, that's all. That's it? Yeah, I was going to try and... um, do it. Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I was going to try and guide those reviews to being towards positive, but that's not honest. <laughs> Two star. <laughs> we stop plugging that you should review. It. I mean, if you think it's me, you know, why are you leaving a review anyway? No, he's joking. <laughs> well, it's your podcast, remember? Oh, yeah. 70% Aaron and 30% Kyle. Yeah. We're working on that. We'll get our 80 20 here in a bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty, soon, pretty, soon, pretty soon, Kyle's going to be like, hey, uh, there's a new podcast out, but I don't remember <laughs> recording one. Yeah. yeah we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did. Oh, you're so stupid. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Jason. Yep. Thanks, guys.